Good singing there. It's a new hymn for us. Thank you, choir, for introducing it to us. And we print this bulletin so that you can take it home with you and meditate on it through the week. What wonderful lines like, without your grace we waste away like flowers that wither and decay. Oh, let your face shine upon us and fill the world with love divine. It is the first Sunday of Advent, and it is, it can be, a season in which we feel challenged to find anything new. It is the plight of the preacher sometimes, thinking, what new can I say about Advent? In fact, on the way in, I saw our local uh, archaeologist, Suzanne Latimer, and I asked if she could please find someone new in the Christmas story. Dig up somebody new in the Christmas story so I'll have something new to preach about. She's, uh, she's only got one arm, so she's not able to do that until she recovers. But Christmas should not be rote. It should not be boring for us. There is always some new and fresh application of Advent to us. And it comes especially when we realize that the whole Bible reveals Christ. One of the things I've enjoyed doing through the years is is sneaking up on people at Advent and preaching from texts that are not the typical Advent texts from the Gospels. We'll be studying through Revelation 14 for this Advent series. And on December 1st, you'll find on our website the beginning of, a, of an Advent series, a collection of thoughts from, from uh, the story of Christ from all across Scripture, beginning with Genesis and moving to Revelation. Look for that on the website. So this first Advent sermon, I want us to think about the eternal gospel. Actually, that's the whole theme for the whole series. The gospel is eternal, the eternal gospel. We dipped our toe into that in chapter 13 when we read that Christ was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, something kind of hard to wrap our heads around, that from all of eternity, God had designed to sacrifice His Son, Christ, for us. It wasn't a backup plan. It wasn't something accidental. God created the world in order to redeem, and He created the world as a place into which He would send His Son who would die for our redemption. It is an eternal gospel. And that eternal gospel is one that was gradually revealed throughout the Old Testament and finally comes to bear comes uh, to us, is revealed to us with the appearance of Christ. And among the many promises of this Christ, the one who would come to redeem us, this is the first one we, we meditate on this morning from Revelation 14, verse 6, the promised reconciler. The promised reconciler. This is the one who came to reconcile sinners to a holy God, and then to enable them to be reconciled among themselves as sinners and very unlikely people to be called father and mother and sister and brother. We'll read from Revelation 14, verses 6 and following, and then I will reference again the text that the, that the choir sang to us from Luke chapter 2. Revelation 14, verse 6, I saw another angel flying directly overhead 
with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. <clears throat> Open our eyes, O Lord, that we would behold beautiful things on this first Sunday of Advent concerning the reconciling power of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And as a result of it, may none of us leave unreconciled to you. And as a result of it, may each of us leave with a mission to be ministers of reconciliation. We pray it in the strong name of Christ and for His sake, and God's people said together, <clears throat> amen. So I want to connect throughout this series this, these verses that we skipped over in our study of Revelation. By the way, if you're new to us, we're accustomed to studying verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We've been through the book of Revelation up to chapter 20. But I saved these verses, I tucked these away to come back to them for this Advent series. And through the series, I'm going to connect what we find in these few verses in Revelation 14 to the more familiar passages that you know from the Christmas story. So these two verses, verses 6 and 7, how in the world do they relate to that revelation of God to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 that the choir so beautifully sang to us in that Craig Courtney piece? It's this, that in that revelation the revelation of God from heaven to earth, He revealed that He was coming to reconcile sinners to Himself, not just sinners, people who were thought to be impossible to redeem, and not just that, but to make them a family among those who would never have anything to do with each other otherwise. If you know the Christmas story, you know how unpopular the shepherds were. They were a despised people. There was only one group of people in Israel who were thought to be lesser on the social ladder, the spiritual ladder even, than the shepherds, and that was lepers. Shepherds were, were, were already profiled as thieves, as no-goods, people who were unclean because of the work they did, people not welcomed into the temple courts people who were denied their rights, the right to testify in public. You couldn't trust their word. No rights to a just trial if they were accused of something. They had uh, no rights to serve in any public office. They were no good. The, the, the rabbis frequently wondered, how, why in the world does David say, the Lord is my shepherd? Why would he choose such a despicable class of people to say that is what the Lord is like? They never got the answer to that in their own reasonings. Shepherds, if they let their sheep loose and they got outside of the confines of this, this country where they were out, out in the pasture lands, then those animals were confiscated and viewed as 
nothing more than sacrifices. The Mishnah says, a commentary on Jewish law, the Mishnah says that uh, if you see a shepherd in trouble, if you see him in a ditch, if you see him, he's been attacked and he's, he's, uh, he's helpless and he's going to die without your intervention, don't worry about it. Don't, don't help him because he's incompetent, that was the word. He's incompetent. He's gotten himself in that situation. He deserves to be in that situation. He's not worth rescuing. That was a shepherd. The shepherd wasn't someone who, who would be highly esteemed, someone who was, who was re regarded, revered as, as uh, someone essential to the economy and to their worship services. It was a despised group of people. So to whom does God first announce the arrival of Jesus Christ? Shepherds. He finds them out in the field attending to their flocks, and He reconciled heaven to earth. You see, reconciliation is not just a word that describes what happens to enemies when they come together. It is the uniting of anything that is thought to be incompatible. It is the unifying of anything that is supposed to be permanently diverse. It is the closing of any gap, especially those gaps that have been created by human beings and assigned or, or filled with spiritual meaning. And so here was heaven, God in His holiness, who, who only appeared, so they thought, to His people who were washed and clean and sacrificed for and appropriate and of appropriate social class in the temple. This God from heaven comes to earth where the shepherds are. He opens up the heavens and the angels tumble out in joy. The angels always reflect what's happening in heaven, and they are reflecting the joy of God. And God is overjoyed that now the time has come to announce that He is going to send a Savior who will be a human being. He is going to bring good news of great joy to all peoples, all class of peoples, even the shepherds. This is for you, He says. Now I want you to go. I want you to go toward holy people. I want you to go toward the Jews, and I want you to kneel down and come face to face with Jesus, my Redeemer. Why is the gospel of God called the gospel of reconciliation by by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5? It's not a word made up by the media or by or by uh, uh, those who are culturally uh, on the, the cutting edge. This is a word that is a biblical word. God's gospel is the gospel of reconciliation because it bridges the gap between that which is thought to be incompatible, infinitely removed one for the other, heaven to earth, holiness to sinners, and sinners to one another. To appreciate that good news, we have to understand the content of the gospel. And our text explains the content of the gospel. And we have to, secondly, we have to, we have to obey the command, the command of the gospel. The content of the gospel and the command of the gospel, the content of the gospel is in verse 6. 
I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel. It's not something new, not innovative. It's something that's been in God's heart from all of eternity. And what is the eternal gospel? To proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. That's not a new phrase to us as we've been studying the book of Revelation. We've seen it about ten times. We'll see it again before we quit studying. And why does God speak this way? not only in the book of Revelation, but throughout the whole Bible. Why does He always say, take the good news to every nation, tribe, language, and people? Why didn't He just say, I hope heaven is full of all kinds of people? Why does He name these divisions artificially created by human beings as something that should keep us divided? national allegiances, tribal identities, language groups, people groups, ethnicities. Because God's glory is found in the reconciling of all of those who bear His image, who surrender to Jesus Christ to bring them all together as one new people in this earth and into heaven. We know that from, for instance, from the beginning of creation. We, we know that God is about something uh, remarkable, that he is, going to, he is going to demonstrate His beauty through differences. We know it in the creation itself. God said, let there be light. What is light? The combination of numerous strands of colors and particles, bringing all of that diversity into one powerful thing, phenomenon called light. And then He said, I'm going I'm to create birds. I'm going to create fish. I'm not going to create just one, one sample bird, one sample fish. I'm going to cause the heavens to teem with birds and the seas to teem with marine life. Some were still discovering, I want you to see that my beauty is multifaceted. And then He created human beings, not just one, not just one gender. Male and female, He created them to reflect the image of God. Why does God Why does God emphasize, even in the creation, the beauty of unity and diversity? Because it's a reflection of who He is. He is the one God in three persons, same in substance, equal in power and glory forever. There is no other religion that has a God like that. There are religions that have multiple gods, but there's no other religion that can imagine one God in three persons. Nor is there any other, God, any other religion that imagines a God who delights in astounding the world with the beauty of uniting disparate things. So redemption follows from His character. He's not going to just fill up heaven with Presbyterians or Baptists or people who are monochromatic or people who are from one socioeconomic strata or from one nation. 
The only way that heaven could begin to reflect the beauty of the image of God is for every representative from every tribe and tongue and people and nation to be there. What happened in the fall? This beautiful creation, what happened? We rebelled. God says, I want to, uh, I am, I'm creating you and you're going to be like me but unlike me. You are going to, and we are going to be united with each other as you submit to my law, and I will serve your needs. And I want you to reflect that in your relationship to one another as male and female. Husbands, I want you to sacrifice for your wives and protect them. And wives, I want you to respect your husbands and, and bless him. I want you to mutually and voluntarily submit to one another and serve one another as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit submit to and serve one another. That's the way the world is supposed to be. But that wasn't good for Adam and Eve. They didn't like that kind of, that kind of diversity. What they wanted was uniformity. We don't want to depend on God for anything. We want to be God. We don't want to submit to Him. We want to be God. What happened when they rejected that? It created tension between themselves. The, the wife will resent her husband. The husband will try to rule over her. The unity, the beauty of unity and diversity, reflecting the unity and diversity of the triune God was broken. And we continue to try to break it. We continue to try to break it by being our own gods. We continue to try to break it by, I don't want to move toward that person who's different from me. I, want to, I only want to be like with people who are like me. I don't want to go to another place in the country, or I don't want to go to another place in the world. I want to be right here. And so, we have broken the beauty of what God created. What did Jesus come to do? We read about it in Ephesians chapter 2. If you have time, please turn there. If you can find it quickly, turn to your left, just a few books. Ephesians chapter 2, here he explains what Jesus came to do, how he came to reflect the heart of God in the gospel. It explains why he was reaching out to the shepherds. He says in chapter 2, verse 11, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. In other words, if you weren't a Jew, you were just like a shepherd. You had no rights. You, you, you weren't thought to be anything. You were completely outside of what human beings had decided was the will of God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. In verse 6 of chapter 3, he says, this mystery, 
The mystery of the gospel is this, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What is the gospel? What makes the gospel such astonishingly new and startling news? It is that it reconciles people who are sinners, infinitely removed from God, to God, and it reconciles people who are not supposed to get along, not supposed to be in the same place, not supposed to call each other father, mother, sister, and brother. It makes them family. That's the astonishing power of the gospel. A number of years ago, 1990, at the Lausanne Conference, the leader of the one of the primary leaders of the Indian church at the time, Vinay Samuel, said in an interview at that conference, one sign and wonder, biblically speaking, that alone can prove the power of the gospel is that of reconciliation. One sign and wonder. Now follow carefully what he says. He said Hindus can produce as many miracles as Christian miracle workers. Islamic saints in India can produce and duplicate every miracle that has been produced by Christians. Now, what does he mean by that? By sleight of hand, by trick of the eye, by demonic power, just like we saw in the book of Exodus when the magicians could imitate the, some of the miracles of Moses. So people can, people can imitate healings and, or they can make someone appear to be dead and raise them from the dead either by sleight of hand, by illusion, or by tricks. Yes, so he says it's possible around the world for pagan religions to imitate Christian miracles, but they cannot duplicate the miracle of black and white together, of racial justice being swept away by the power of the gospel. He doesn't mean just black and white as in our country, but any place where there is ethnic difference. No one duplicates that permanently. They can create some photo ops. They can create some, they can, they, they, they can produce some symbols of unity, but only the gospel is powerful enough to break down these barriers that have been, that have, that have been built up by us, by our society, break down these barriers to the place that we commit ourselves to be family. The gospel is astonished by that. I mean, the, the world is astonished by that power of the gospel. When it breaks down that dividing wall between Koreans and Chinese, when it breaks, Japanese, when it breaks down the, that wall between Somalis and, and uh, Kenyans, when it breaks down that wall among castes in India, between rich and poor, black and white, Asian and Hispanic here. The world cannot imitate that. That is a miracle of the gospel of God. It's what we must pursue. To imitate the God of the gospel who pursues reconciliation, sending His angels to announce, I am breaking down the dividing barrier wall between myself and you through my Son, Jesus Christ. That is the one we must imitate by breaking down every other wall like that we see as well. You know, when you ride the tube 
in England, the, the subway system, what is that sign that you see everywhere you step out? Mind the gap. This gap that's between the platform and the carriage. If you're not careful, you get your foot stuck in it and you'll trip. Mind the gap. Well, maybe the, the sign that should be in front of all of us is find the gap. Find the gap and mend it. Where is there a place where someone is thought to be incompatible, a class of people, an individual? These two cannot go together. This is incompatible. And take the gospel and run through it and say, you are my brother, my sister, and this can be possible through the reconciling power of Jesus Christ. First, be reconciled to God. Then let us be reconciled to one another so that we become friends and family. The world is astonished by that. I was walking through a restaurant once in Augusta, and I saw two men there who are friends of mine, have become friends of mine. They were, they'd been in the contracting business. One is now a uh, U.S. representative, but at the time they were just, they were, they were contractors. And they were at a, at a table together and they were having the best time. They were laughing and telling stories and enjoying each other's company. And, and so I came by to say hello to them. And about the same time, somebody else came up and he was completely confused. He, he, he took, you know, it's as if he took his glasses off and I don't, I don't understand what I'm seeing here. He said, uh, Rick, uh, Bill, yes. Aren't you competitors? That was a nice way of saying, don't you hate each other? Oh, yes, we were competitors, he said. Oh, boy, were we competitors. And then they start telling stories. One said, you remember when I used to have that long Cadillac before, I, I mean, that long Mercedes before I lost everything, had dark windows, I drove it into your lot, and uh, you came up and said, can I help you, sir? And I rolled the window down, and I said, yeah, I'm just surveying all the stuff I'm going to take away from you when I drive you in the ground. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Do you remember the time I reported you to the feds? I made up something about you. You remember when I sabotaged that project you were on? Oh, yeah. You remember when I sued you? Oh, that was a good one. Whoa, this man was about to lose his mind. His head was exploding on his shoulders. What in the world? He said, what has happened to you? And they said, oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We got saved. Yeah, he said, yeah, to save me, that Jesus had to take away everything I had. Oh, yeah, to save me, Jesus had to break down my family. brought me to the end of myself, brought us to the end of ourselves before He restored us in both ways. And now He builds, He builds the warehouses, I rent them, and we're partners. But more than that, we are brothers in Jesus Christ. The world can't duplicate that. That's what the gospel does. And it's the kind of gospel work you and I need to be involved in. Let's find people with whom we can be reconciled, that we can demonstrate reconciliation to, unity and diversity, incompatible, thought to be incompatible relationships, and hold them up to the world and say, what do you have to say to that? 
You can't duplicate that. You want that good news? Come on in. It's good news for shepherds. What do you do with it? When you learn it, you have to obey it. See verse 7? He said with a loud voice, fear God and give Him glory. The hour of judgment has come. Worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. You know, the Bible never presents the gospel as something that, uh, that it begs you to take hold of. Jesus never comes to you and wrings His hands and said, would you please help my self-esteem by becoming a Christian? Would you, please ref- would you please receive what I've done for you on the cross? It would make me feel so much better. I really need you on my team. Instead, God the Creator says, I made you, and I made you to have a relationship with me. You've broken that relationship, and so I have sent my Son to be the atoning sacrifice for your sins, to bridge the gap between my holiness and your sinfulness, and I command you to receive it. That's what's said here. Fear God and give Him glory. That first step is to bow before Him and call Him Lord fear God. It doesn't mean to cower in front of Him. Instead, it's like the New Testament says, Peter says, set apart Christ as Lord. Make Christ Lord. He's the first thought of everything. Bow to Him and say, what do you want me to do? I will do it. Fear God. And then worship Him. Worship is a grateful response to the grace you've received. So, Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Here's, what, here's, what, here's how you obey the command. It's to receive it. To keep the command of the gospel is not to work yourself up to do, to do enough good to clean yourself up. The shepherds didn't take a bath. They didn't get rid of it. They didn't quit their occupation. They didn't change their clothes. They didn't assimilate into Jewish believing culture before they appeared at the, at the, at the cradle of Jesus. They just came. They just received. Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior. You feel yourself on the outside you feel yourself separated from Him. There's no way that you, and you've tried every way in the world to reform your life and work your way to Him, and it just has never worked. You're trying the wrong thing. Today, He commands you, obey by receiving. Lord Jesus, take my sin away. Give me your righteousness. Unite me to your Son, make me one with yourself. And then in response to your grace, I'm going to worship you, and I'm going to demonstrate this gospel all around me by pursuing those with whom I'm not supposed to have a relationship so that we prove to the world the power of the gospel. Shortly after... The United States took down Saddam Hussein. 
Medical supplies were in short, uh, 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 they were in high demand, they were short supply. Of course, there were no toys for the children, assistances to their learning, those kinds of practical things. It was complete chaos. And Christians had been worshiping all along in Iraq, and they uh, would, but they had worshipped underground, and and so one pastor by the name of Ghassan Thomas decided that his church was going to worship out in the open. They had that freedom now, so they opened their church out in the open. and And the night before church, they they took a piece of of plywood and they painted on it, "Jesus is the light of the world." That night, thugs and vandals broke into their church. They took that sign. They ripped it in pieces. They took a cheap piece of cardboard, and they wrote on it instead, Jesus is not the light of the world. Allah is the light of the world. You have been warned, signed, the Shiite militia, some terrorist group. Who knows if it's actually them or not, but that's who signed it. Pastor Thomas had no recourse to any kind of traditional justice, but he, he wasn't helpless. Instead, he gathered up basic medical supplies that he had, and he also gathered from his community toys as a contribution. And he took them to the place where there was a sign out front that said, Shiite militia. He knocked on the door. The sheikh came out. And uh, he explained to him, he said, uh, I, I, I'm a, a Christian pastor, and uh, I found this cardboard sign at my church this morning, and uh, it was signed by people supposedly from your group, and I want you to know that, that uh, we're a different kind of people. We do believe that Jesus is the light of the world. He opened the New Testament. He read from him from uh, John chapter 8, Jesus is the light of the world. And to prove to you, to show to you that Jesus is the light of the world, I have these medical supplies, and we want your children to have these toys as a celebration of our Christmas. It left even the shakes speechless. He neither took credit or disavowed what had happened, but he did say, from now on, you are my brother. He didn't mean in a spiritual sense, but he said, you are one to whom I'm going to be loyal. And from now on, if anybody tries to attack your life, they will have to get to you through me. The sheikh never became a Christian that we know of. But he astonished, the Christians astonished someone who had no duplicate for that in his religion. What a joy it is. What a joy Advent is. We're celebrating Christ who came into the world to break down that infinite gap and restore us to that fellowship that we had with God before the fall. And He gives us the privilege of including us in that mission of looking for those gaps we can bridge by announcing the gospel of Christ who spans that infinite bridge of sinners and, and, uh, and a holy God. 
and demonstrates it objectively in the relationships that we build in worship and in our neighborhoods to the glory of God the Father. Let's join together in that work and pray the Spirit empowers us to it to be astonishing representatives of the light of Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, these things are too lofty for us, too high and unattainable for us in our feeble minds. They don't fit any of the categories that we, that we know naturally. We, we pray in this Advent series, as we meditate on the gospel that has always been in your heart, it has always been your desire to reconcile with sinners at infinite cost to yourself. Mutual voluntary submission of the Trinity and even submitting to us in the cross. Oh Lord, fill us with new passion for sharing and imitating that good news. In Jesus' name we pray, God's people said together. Amen.